0: Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. What actually happens when you take your last breath and the heart stops Beating, it's a big question, we don't think about enough, Uh, we just don't, we don't think about it enough, here's why we should think about it more if, if you're taking notes today, what you believe about death and eternity will determine how you live now, what you believe about death and eternity will determine how you live now, it will determine how you live your life, like there are decisions that you will make and are making this weekend based on your answer to or what you believe about death because tons of people believe different things for example some people uh, believe that at death it's over that there's no eternity and there's no reason to live with any eternal motivation some people believe in purgatory that uh, once you die you can be prayed up out of purgatory Uh, islam teaches that at the end allah will judge the works of those who have gone before if your good works outweigh your bad Uh, then you get to go to paradise. If your bad works outweigh your good, then you uh, go to hell. Some people believe that we become angels when we die. Some believe in reincarnation, that if you live a good life, uh, you're going to come back as a higher life form. If you live a bad life, you're going to come back as a lower life form. None of what I've just said is what the Bible teaches. And I want to talk to you today about what the Bible teaches about life after death, but I actually want to do two big things. So today is about two big things, asking and answering two big questions. One, is there life after death? So is it intellectually feasible to believe that there is life after death? And then two, what does the Bible tell us happens? What does Jesus say happens after we die? So let's answer the first one, is there life after death? Now, if you remember, we started this series week one, Is God Real?, with the challenge to follow where the evidence leads, not where we hope it leads. That there's evidence and let's follow where the evidence leads. Let's base our beliefs around what's real because many people in our culture base their beliefs around what they feel. Let's base our beliefs around what's real and let's follow the evidence. So I wanna talk about eight evidences for life after death now these are pulled from a variety of sources not any one of these is a slam dunk proof okay not one of these could stand alone as a slam dunk proof but they build a case let's march through them the first of these eight reasons is nature the pattern and cycle of nature there's winter where there's death but it turns to spring Uh, Or seeds that come from plants like acorns that go into the earth and die, but then bring forth new life. Plato said this, there's a cycle in nature that's obvious to us all. I'm not sure what is after death, but nature seems to give us a picture of what it will be like, some kind of new life after death. Number two, anthropology. When we look at humanity, the study of humanity over all backgrounds and religions, what do we find? Anthropologists say that every culture on earth, from those who live in primitive uh, parts of the Amazon, to the Himalayas, to urban cultures, all believe in some kind of afterlife. Most societies treat death not as an end into nothingness, but a transition into some unknown state. There's just something in the human soul. There's something in us that transcends culture, transcends society, but intuitively knows that physical death is a doorway. It's not a dead end. Number three, psychology, the evidence from psychology, the sense that there has to be more than this, that the human experience is one of seeking fulfillment. We are seeking fulfillment. We're seeking happiness. We're seeking peace. And we keep thinking that if I could just live in that place or if I could work in a place like this or if I could be married to this type of person or if we could have kids or if we could finally get out of debt or if we could do this or have this or obtain this, that we will be happy. But what do we know? We know that once you achieve that thing, fix that thing in your character, obtain this certain kind of thing, it doesn't quite satisfy, does it? There always has to be More, C.S. Lewis said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. We're made for something this broken world just cannot provide. Number four, the evidence from ethics. You've probably noticed that the world is not just, and the reasoning of ethics goes like this, to have morality, there must be justice. And when we look at what's going on in the world, we so often see uh, people do bad things and it's not like, it's like they're rewarded almost for it or people will do good things but yet bad things still happen to them. The world is not just and for justice to occur, it doesn't always occur in this lifetime. So there has to be some type of judgment over good and evil the next one is closely related but it does stand alone and that's the evidence from philosophy justice doesn't always occur in this life so there has to be another time of judgment or reconciliation of good and evil Immanuel Kant took the reasoning of ethics and and basically said if there is a good God and there is morality there has to be an afterlife for any of life to make sense number six scientific research, specifically the study of near-death experiences, continually suggests an afterlife. In 2014, the largest medical research study ever conducted on cardiac arrest patients was released. The UK-based team spent four years analyzing survivors' interviews, and nearly 40% experienced some type of awareness during the time they had been declared dead. And the currently Currently, the expert's belief is that once the heart stops beating and the brain ceases within 20 to 30 seconds, awareness is not possible. The results of the study contradict that belief that the research published in the Journal of Resuscitation included 2,060 patients in 15 hospitals in the U.S., Australia, and the United Kingdom of those who survived their cardiac arrest, 46% experienced a broad range of mental recollections, 9% had what was called a classic a near-death experience, classical near-death experience, and 2% had an out-of-body experience. Now, I'm not recommending you go study near-death experiences. There's a lot of weird conclusions that come from that. You can get and a lot of stuff that take you onto a different path. My only point in including that is that even scientific research is proving out that death is not a dead end, that there's something more happening uh, there than what we see. And not any one of these things so far prove there is life after death. But if I were a skeptic, and I were to look at those things, I think I would at least, at least not say that I'm part of the one millionth of 1% of all people that have ever lived that say there's no life after death. Add on to this, I think the greatest proof, number seven, the testimony of Jesus. I think the greatest evidence is that, not, is that the only person who came from heaven, who's died and come back to life, who is an authority on the subject is Jesus. If you were not with us last weekend, we talked about the proof of the resurrection that for 40 days in a resurrected body about 500 people saw Jesus, 12 different locations, saw the miracles that he performed, and many of them uh, were willing to give up their life for what they saw, for what they saw, and they saw a resurrected Jesus. And then number eight, the authority of the Bible, the authority of Scripture, and what it has to say about life after death. Next week, we're going to close this series down uh, with answering, Is the Bible Believable? And I ask you to come back for that next week. I'm very excited about that message. And I think it's going to help us all Uh, very much, Um, but uh, join me for that. Normally, we just start today's message on what happens after we die, and we would just start with Jesus and the Bible, and we'd move, we'd go on from there. Uh, But I want to show you this today. Let's put this up there. I wanted to show you that the cumulative evidence from nature, anthropology, psychology, ethics, philosophy, science, the testimony of Jesus, and the Bible make belief in an afterlife the most rational, plausible, an intellectually defensible conclusion to the question, is there life after death? Or in short, or in the terms of Ryland, it's not so (laughs) far-fetched. It's not so far-fetched. It's just not. It's not a blind, far-fetched leap of faith to believe that there is an afterlife, that there is life after death. So what do we know about death what do we know about the afterlife praise god we actually know a lot the bible tells us a lot and studying for this message i was just saddened angry at times of how much false doctrine and bad teaching there is out there on this topic and just how many tremendously bad resources there are so i actually wanted to give you a resource suggest a resource to you and that is a book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. I believe every believer should own this book. Everyone needs to write this down. Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Everyone needs this in their library. And I know uh, it's a monster. This thing's big, isn't it? But um, it's, it's not like a book that you would read through in a few sittings or something like that. It's like a textbook on heaven. And it's broken up and it's got great indexes, scriptural index, topical index, Uh, to help you find answers about the theology of heaven and hell and the character of God and the afterlife. And it's been amazingly helpful to me. Uh, I pull this book off the shelf as much as any other. Some reading scripture, something doesn't make sense about Um, The Theology of Heaven or Hell, I'll look it up in the scriptural index in here and it normally answers the question I'm asking. I don't know how many times I've been watching a movie or a TV show or like and I'll think, oh man, I wonder what that's really like. You know what they're trying to depict and I'll look it up in here. It's just a great resource I think every Christian uh, needs to have. But what do we know about death? What do we know about death? The first thing if you're taking notes that we know about death is that death is certain. And I know we don't like to talk about that. And please hear me this morning. I'm not trying to be abrasive with any of this. But death is not a surprise. Now, death can be sudden. It can be way too soon, way too early. It can be tragic. But it's not a surprise. Scripture says it very simply, Hebrews 9. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And what will happen at judgment depends on what you did with Christ in your lifetime. This is why Jesus is so important to your eternal destiny because we're born into a sin nature and that separates us from a holy God who cannot have sin in his presence but the gospel good news is that God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus who was born of a virgin so he did not inherit the sin nature he was not born into the sin nature and he died on a cross after living a perfect sinless life and shed his innocent blood but he didn't stay dead He rose from the grave. He rose again and because of his perfect sacrifice by faith, when we believe in him, we are in Christ and we are called righteous and we are adopted into the family of God by our faith in Christ. And in fact, scripture says that anyone, anyone, including you, no matter what mess you find yourself in, no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, you can call on the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And there are people in this room today that God has brought you here, and before you leave this room, you are going to turn from your sin, and you are going to be raised to life in Jesus' name, and you will be saved, and you will never be the same, and your sins will be forgiven and gone, and when you die a physical death, you will not die eternally. You'll live with God in heaven. Amazing, amazing good news. What do we know about death? Death is certain, number two, the soul and the body separate. You are not your body. That's just, just, that's just one element of you. Okay? It's not the real you. This body is skin, it's flesh. The Bible calls it a tent. What you're looking at is not the real me. It's not all of me. What I'm looking at is not the real you. It's not all of you. You are not just your body. Some of you are like, praise God, thank you. <laughs> but it's just a covering, an outer covering, but we're so consumed by it and, and afraid of, of what's going to happen. Matthew 10:28. Jesus said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. Why? Because when you die, your heart stops beating, but you continue to live. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. They're two different things. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. One day, when your physical body dies, you are still going to be as alive as you ever have been. In fact, Jesus said it this way in John 11. The scene is that Jesus has just resurrected a man named Lazarus from the grave. Physically, Lazarus died a physical death. Jesus is raising him physically. And Jesus turns to Martha and takes the opportunity to make a much larger point about life and death, praise God. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus says, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me, read it with me, will never die. Number three, we know eventually that we will face judgment. So the soul and body are are gonna separate, but as we learned in that video, we'll be resurrected again on the day of resurrection with a holy, perfect body that we will be reunited with our soul. We're not going to live in heaven in some ethereal ethereal matter or, or as an angel or something like that. We'll be the real us and it will be amazing but one day we will face judgment hebrews 9 27 again says just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment now if you're like me the thought of being judged by god is very sobering i mean to be judged by people is nerve-wracking enough right but after you die you'll face judgment what does the bible say about judgment there's two different judgments explained in scripture One is known as the great white throne judgment. And so the question is, if there's going to be two different judgments, well, who's going to, why are there two? Who's going to be at that? Well, the great white throne judgment is for non-believers. Believers will not be there. Let's read a little bit. Let's let scripture speak to us about the great white throne judgment. Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. What do we know? The great white throne judgment, dead people are there, there's the book of life, and there are other books which evidently contain uh, deeds and maybe even sins. And if your name is not found written in the book of life, you're apparently judged by your deeds, judged by your works. Were you good enough to qualify for heaven? And what do we know? Scripturally, what do we know? We're not. We're not. The Bible says very clearly that we're only, the only way to be saved is by grace through faith in Jesus and that alone. Ephesians 2 goes on to say that we're not saved by works so no one can boast. So it's not like anyone's gonna make it out of that judgment on works and be able to boast in their works. That's why it finishes saying whoever's not found in the book of life, that if your name is not found written in the book of life, you're judged by your works and everyone who's judged by their works, whose name is not in the book of life, will be thrown into the lake of fire, everlasting destruction separation from God in a very real place. And the great white throne judgment is not a place you want to be. You would rather be in the book of life so you don't have to be judged by, Jesus, by your work. You get in on Jesus' work because you will not qualify for heaven no matter how good you are. And I know that is so difficult to hear and as, as I've talked with people about what the Bible says about heaven and hell and about judgment, what I found the number one reason they do not want to believe what the Bible teaches is because they've had a family member or a friend who's passed away before them who did not believe and did not believe what the Bible teaches. And friend, I want to tell you that if you study this book on heaven that I'm recommending, if you study what Jesus has to say about heaven and hell, if you study the passage where Jesus is explaining the chasm between someone who's believed and has not believed, what we learn is that if there was anything, anything to console them or anything to make it better for them, it would be that you believe. They're wishing they could come back and tell you to believe please do not let that keep you from believing. They want you to believe in Jesus Christ and lean on him for salvation. The second judgment mentioned in scripture is known as the judgment seat of Christ. Now, if you're at the judgment seat of Christ, uh, apparently that's only for believers. Your eternal destination is not judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Your eternal destination is already determined while you are on earth. And when you responded to the grace and work and love of Jesus on earth, So this is not determining your eternal destination. It's a place that your works as a believer are judged to see whether or not you're worthy of rewards in heaven. Let's just let scripture speak to us a little bit. Romans 14, 10. For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. What judgment seat is this talking about? Let's go to the next passage. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for things done while in the body whether good or bad. So at the judgment seat of Christ, you will not be judged for salvation. That would have been settled on earth. But instead, you'll see what rewards you're going to get in heaven. Let's break this down a little bit. The Greek word for judgment seat here is the word bema, B-E-M-A, and it's a very rich word with a lot of historical meaning. And bema literally means a step up up. It was used judiciously speaking. you would take a step up onto the, the bema step or the bema seat and the, the judge uh, would give a verdict. It was also more commonly used and, and, and taken this way in this context uh, very commonly in the Greek Olympic Games. So if you watch the Olympics at the end of the competition, a man or woman takes a step up on the bema step and the judge would come over And you'd bow your head and the judge would put an olive crown on your head, on the winner's head. So just imagine that you're face to face with Jesus and all you're wanting to do in that moment is bow down and worship him and give him the glory that he is due and and show how much he is worth and he comes over to you and says, well done, And you're going to say, I can't hear that right now. It's going to be hard to hear that because you're going to know how unworthy you are. And he's going to say, Let me tell you what you did for me. Let me tell you what you did to me. And you're going to say, What did I ever do to you? And he says, Don't you remember what my my word says? What you did for the least of these, you did unto me. And when you helped that helpless person, that was me. And when you served that person, that was me. And when you helped that defenseless baby or that person who was being abused, you helped me. And when you visited that person in prison and you loved them even in prison, that was me. You did that to me and I wanna thank you and it glorifies me to crown you and to thank you. Because my word says what you did to the least of these, you did unto me. And he's going to ask you to kneel slightly and he's going to put a crown on your head. Why a crown? Because it's his kingdom. And he puts a crown on your head and says, well done. What kind of crowns will be in heaven? The Bible shows us five of them. There may be more. I don't know. There may be many, many, many more. But the Bible explicitly tells us about five crowns I'm so excited to show these five to you one of them is called the incorruptible crown the incorruptible crown if you're taking notes that's for those of you who are seeking maturity in Christ you're pressing into Christ more you fast you pray You're consistent in your pursuit and your desire of him and you love and respect the word of God. You honor the word of God and you're helping other people know him more deeply. Maybe you're even leading a a small group and you're connecting with people more deeply. You're helping people find freedom in the name of Jesus. There's a crown for you who are pressing in to know Christ more. It's called the incorruptible crown. There's also what is known as the crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness, that's for those of you who know that this world is not your home. And you're not like most people who think that true joy is going to come from possessions or achievements, but you're longing for the return of Christ. There's another one, it's called the crown of rejoicing. Some of you are taking this commission to go and tell very seriously and you're sharing your faith with other people. Some people call this the soul winner's crown. It's for those of you who share Christ with those who don't know Christ and your heart breaks For those who have not heard the gospel, you can even hardly sit in church, sit still in church today because there's people who have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and there is a crown for you. It's the crown of rejoicing and you're looking for opportunities not to just talk about spiritual things but to show people spiritual things and you're leading people to Christ and there's a crown of rejoicing for you. There's a crown of glory and it's for those of you who, you care for others. You're the leaders, the shepherds, the pastors, those who are leading kids in kids' ministry. And, and you're a parent and you're pointing your kids to Christ and you're just leading your flock. You're, you're the teachers, you're the leaders. You're leading a flock to Jesus Christ. You're shepherding your flock. There's a crown for you. There's a crown of life. And this is the crown for those who endure trials and hard times. And yet you hang on to Jesus. And today around the world, people who will die the death of a martyr, today around the world, there will be people who embrace Christ even unto death. They will receive this crown. Do you ever think about the crowns? Faith is believing that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith is believing that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And God wants to reward you because it gives him glory. And do you ever think about the crowns? Do you think about the reward? Do you think about what's coming in eternity? 1 Corinthians three thirteen through 15 says, a person's work will be shown for what it is because the day, capital D, will bring light to it. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Here's the bottom line. One day, you who are believers will be judged... For your work or lack thereof, I will be judged for my work or lack thereof. And many of you, I just want to say this very plainly, will be rewarded very handsomely and it will give God much glory. You care about the least of these. Your heart is broken for people. You are faithful to God. You are the most just servant-hearted, Christ-like. Some of you are the most generous people. And it gives God great glory and you will be rewarded. And you will be so glad you did. Others of you are believers, but you have done hardly anything but just receive from Christ. And you benefit from salvation. You are saved. But just as one who narrowly escapes the flames, you've received Christ, but you've done nothing with it. And it's an embarrassment to the kingdom of God. And on that day, you will have give, would wish to give anything to go back and do it again. And when you see how real and how just and how good he is, you'll wish for another chance. Make no mistake about it, what you believe about eternity will determine how you live and it'll determine the decisions you make today. I wanna to close with a quick observation and that is how many of these verses have to do with life, life. It's called the, the book of life for crying out loud. Why, why? Romans six twenty three. for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, it's interesting when you read the teachings of other uh, amazing teachers when you read the teachings of buddha and plato and you look at, at their followers and and see what they taught there's a lot of truth to them there is some truth to them at times at times it even sounds a lot like jesus And if that's all Jesus was, just another Buddha or Plato, just another person dispensing some wisdom and some good teaching, guys, he's not that big of a deal then. Like, why are we here worshiping him today? Like, if he's just another Plato, we would just be here learning from him. But no, we're about to stand together and open our mouth and lift our voice and lift our hands and worship him, why? Yes, why do we worship him? Well, yes, because he's full of truth. Yes, because he's full of wisdom. But we worship him because he can raise the dead. And nobody else can raise the dead. And nobody else can give life. And if all you're looking for is just some lessons and some wisdom and some nuggets of truth that can help you with the life that you have right now, There's a lot of places you can go for that. But if you're looking for resurrection and you want your name written in the book of life, there's one game in town. There's only one name to call. There's only one person who can do that. There's only one recommendation on the Angie's list for resurrection. His name is Jesus. (laughs) Rylan, what are you talking about resurrection? I don't mean physically. Everyone here is alive physically. Physically. I'm being spiritually. And my sense is that there are people sitting in this room right now, sitting in their seat, spiritually dead. Your physical heart is beating blood through your veins, but your spiritual heart is stone cold. And God says, I can take that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And as I close today, I'm not going to invite you to ask Jesus into that heart, Jesus didn't invite Lazarus to come out of the grave Jesus didn't invite Lazarus to come forth Lazarus didn't invite Jesus to invite him out of that grave Lazar- Lazarus was dead And I don't know who this is for But it's for someone in this room right now Somebody sitting here right now I command you in the name of Jesus To come to life Come forth. In the name of Jesus, come alive. Be raised to life now. Not later when you pray, not after you think about it. Now, be raised to life now. Jesus did it in his own name. He said this for the glory of the Son. I'm not gonna do it in my name. There's no power there, but I can do it in the name of Jesus. And by his authority, I command you to come to life. And some of you asked, what just happened and what did I just feel right now and that was God taking a heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh and it's a free gift the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord and the fact that you didn't even ask for it it proves that it's not any work that you did it's not anything that I did It just happened while you sat there. God resurrected you. And you know what? Now you owe him your whole life. (laughs) Everything. Your energy, your desires. Now your next step is to say, God, I was dead. Now I'm alive. Without you, I don't have life. What do you want to do with this life? It's yours. And it's time to pick up your cross, leave the dead life behind, and enter into a new birth and a new life with Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Let's pray together. Jesus, we worship you because we, we do believe. You turned to Martha and said, I'm the resurrection and life, do you believe this? And you asked, do we believe you? We do. You are the resurrection and the life. And in you, we will live by no other name. And I ask today that you would take those who have been raised to life by the power of your spirit. That you take those who have been rescued from death and the kingdom of darkness and brought into your family by the authority of your name. That you would give them an overwhelming sense of your love that you would give them a clear sense of direction about what they're supposed to do next. God, give them a passion for your kingdom. And that you would surround the people who have been raised to life, surround them with people that would love them and teach them about your way. Father, make us eternal-minded believers that we would serve you with our very best. God, we we want to be eternal-minded. And we know that you will not forsake us. God, you won't. We thank you for the promise of heaven. God, you are constant. You are sovereign. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus, whom we love. The church said, amen. Thanks for joining us today